0: and the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad anybody can do that you can do that without god but the high road is choosing between the good and the best and always choosing the best welcome back to the baptist friends podcast with dr clarence sexton where we gather around truth friendship emerald evangelism Today, Pastor Sexton is continuing the series on Taking the High Road. Please plan to be with us on April 12th to the 16th for our annual Baptist Friends meeting. And now, here is Pastor Sexton. I'm so happy we can be together again today. I've been talking about taking the high road. And of course, the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad, but choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. It is the unending pursuit. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just excellence. Someone may measure excellence in some sort of subjective way to their measure. But God's way of measuring is in our likeness to Jesus Christ. And so I've given you some things. God is our goal. Do not take a goal and make a goal out of a byproduct. Remove all secondary causes. Waiting on God is never a waste of time. We develop the right worldview. We are hopeful people. We are f- faithful witnesses. And then we dealt with, the, we give God's word authority over our lives. And in order to be spiritual people, we realize we must be scriptural people. We speak the truth in love. And the will of God settles everything. God has called us to himself. And uh, we talked about the fact that our first call in the Christian life is a call to be with him. And then he sends us forth. That's what we find in the third chapter of the gospel according to Mark that Christ did with his disciples. And today I want to talk to you about the fact that we we live the faith life, the faith life. Faith is described in Hebrews chapter 11 as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 12 as looking unto Jesus. And so when I say we live the faith life, we we live the life of keeping our eyes upon Christ. Turning away from other things, turning to the Lord, looking to Him, believing Him, seeing His hand in things, guided by Him, the faith life, and the Lord Jesus says, "Have faith in God," and there there is a boldness in this faith life. There's a clarity in this faith life, uh, contrary to what people think. There's confusion and mixed up people in the faith life. No, there's clarity when when we made God the goal and we trust him and look to him and believe him. So on the high road, we live the faith life. And then we live by a biblical standard. Is there such a thing as a biblical standard? The answer is yes, and it never changes. I was a college student and started out in the field of sociology, and I learned many helpful things. I finished a degree at the University of Tennessee in education, but I remember hearing a history lecture on mores in society. In other words, a society develops certain moral standards they agree on, and in our country we legislate those agreements into laws, and um, so that that is where we are. And then we live by those. And then as evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, the moral standards are always changing things that were once unacceptable and acceptable. When I was a student in college as a freshman, in the freshman psychology book, there was an entire chapter given to deviant behavior. And there were things on that deviant behavior list, things unacceptable, things that we would not accept people doing, behavior we would not tolerate, and things like incest behavior, and actually homosexuality was on that, on that list. And so, abortion would have been on that list. These these are behaviors, and actions that are unacceptable. Well, those things change, and as evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, the moral standards change. The mores, or the moral standards, a society accepts, change also. We have some people who promote an all-moral society. There's no moral standard, and um, that's tragic indeed. But in the midst of all of that, laws are made to adjust to the moral standards. And we are Christians, and we're living as good citizens and law-abiding citizens. But there may be things that are perfectly legal for an adult to do, but we would consider these are unacceptable things for a Christian. And so we're trying to live our lives according to the standards of God's Word, and we're trying to raise our families according to the standards of God's Word, and with integrity, no holes, thorough, and live the life that is pleasing to God. All of this goes back to the Lord, just looking to the Lord, looking to the Lord, believing the Lord. But not not these things that are, I think, way on the extreme, but there are clear biblical standards, and we need to learn what they are and live by them on the high road. Prayer becomes a way of life. That's the 15th thing we're talking about. Prayer is a way of life and praying always. How do you pray always in an attitude of prayer? In in the New Testament, the the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples, and he gave them prayer lessons. The Lord's prayer is given to us in the 17th chapter of the gospel according to John, but he gave them prayer lessons. And the lessons began with our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, with the greatness of God, hallowed be his name. As we pray, Jesus taught his disciples the first thing we need to know in prayers to whom we're praying and how do you get to him? We have no merit of our own. We earn no merit of our own. We don't accumulate merit with God. We come with the imputed righteousness of Christ on our account. And we we believe that God has a way that we can come in to speak with him. The man Christ Jesus ever lived to make intercession for us. But we can approach the throne of God and it is a throne of grace and mercy. Thank God for that. And so We live constantly in the attitude of prayer, and prayer is a way of life. We have been purchased by his precious blood. We have his imputed righteousness on our account, and we have access to God in prayer. And so at any moment, anywhere, anytime, you can't stop it. You can be locked in a box, and you can still pray. And so uh, prayer is a way of life. I remember talking to uh, Ben Carson when he was with us at Crown College to speak Uh, to our young people, and uh, he told me privately sometimes in these long surgeries, when he was involved in these long surgeries, and of course at one time he was considered the world's leading uh, neurosurgeon, he said, I have to stop and pray. I may reach some impasse actually in a surgery, and he said, I excuse myself and let others attend to the patient for a few moments, while I find a place where I can get alone with God and pray, and I ask God for the next move, the next direction. What am, I, what am I to do in this particular surgery? I was really, uh, really, what is the word? When I think about a surgeon leaving an operating procedure and stopping to pray, I was awestruck, really. And but I listened intently. And if a man like that sees that God is accessible to him and he in any moment can pray, you and I, need to know that we have complete access to the Lord because of what Christ has purchased through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we can live this prayer life that becomes a way of life to us. And then on the high road, we understand that Christ is the motive. He's the motive. He's everything. But he's the motive in our lives. And he's our goal. We're looking unto him. And why do you do what you do? And I said to Frank Sells, one of my spiritual fathers, one day, I said, if we can just get this thing down to where there's just two of us, just me and, and God, he said, Why well, have two? We ought to be one with him and one in him. And we're hid with Christ in God. And so I pondered that and thought about it, and that's so true. It's so true. We do what we do, not for them. We don't sing for them. We don't preach for them. We don't speak for them. For them, it's for him. We don't work for them. We work for him. There may be a supervisor or someone in authority, and we want to do our best. But we see beyond that person to the fact that as believers, we're doing the best job we can possibly do. And, of course, we'll do a great job for our supervisor or that person in authority. But we're doing it for the Lord and to please him. And that's the greatest way. And living on the high road, that's what we find. And Then, number 17, we develop a devotional life, a devotional life. Um, I've been instructed and encouraged all of my life as a Christian to have personal devotions, to have a time, place, a plan, reading God's Word. And I've heard so many wonderful things said about that. But the truth is, as important as devotions and having devotions happens to be, we develop a devotional life because we have the Word of God to read. We have reading the Word of God with prayer and communion with God. We have the Word of God to search. We're searching the Scriptures, finding God's intent as God speaks to us. We're comparing Scripture with Scripture, and we're memorizing and meditating on Scripture and actually The Bible is God's revelation of himself. I have a wonderful book. I'd like for all of you to have a copy of it. You can get it from Crown Publications on how to master the English Bible. It is written by James Gray, who was president of Moody Bible Institute for so many years. And it's a life-changing book. It, It really shaped my methods of Bible study. But the title of the book is How to Master the English Bible. In reality, it's how the Bible can master you. And this is why we have a devotional life, to allow the Lord to master us, to allow the Lord to have his way in us, to make God's word our guide, and we're the servants of God's word. This is on the high road, having a devotional life, living this way. Number 18, on the high road, we understand that God gives vision, and people sometimes say of me, Clarence Sexton, you have vision, but the truth of the matter is I don't know if all those people understand vision. Vision is God revealing to us himself and his way and his will. Uh, Taking it a step at a time, knowing this is God's way and we're to walk in it. As the servant said when he went to get a bride for Isaac, that as he was in the way, God led him. In other words, he was doing what God gave him to do, and God led him. And when I think about Crown College and all the wonderful things God has done in Knoxville, Tennessee and worldwide and all the students who have graduated, over 3,600, 3,700 graduates now, and they're in every state and on every continent. Someone says, um, you've got vision, but the truth of the matter is, with the extension colleges we've got and the work going on here, and the joy of pastoring the Temple Baptist Church and the things God's given me, I'd like to believe that I've tried to live on the high road and God gave me understanding. God gave me direction. He gave me the next move. I've had ideas just like you have ideas, and I want to move and act on those ideas. Well, it's not always God's timing, and the Lord brings the time into harmony with the idea. That's one of the great harmonies in Christian service, the time to do it and the will to do it and the fact that it is God's will. Another one of the great harmonies is seeing the harmony between what we do and what God does, that he has brought this about and we are, we're involved in it. What is man? What is God? What is man's doing and God's doing? But God gives vision. He gives direction. He gives clarity in this vision. It's God revealing himself. And on the high road, God gives vision. On the high road, number 19, it is Christ who separates us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, that Paul was separated under the gospel of God. C.I. Schofield said, Every Christian, mightily used of God, We'll have his or her separating experience. What is your separating experience? What is it? Uh, when you ponder your life and muse on the things that you've gone through, when you meditate upon it, what is your separating experience? Well, it's Christ who separates us. I remember when my mother remarried and moved to Florida. My brother, two sisters, and my mother, and a young man named Chester Blevins, who lived with us, moved to Florida. I stayed in Maryville, Tennessee. I was separated from them. I might say that's a separating experience, but it's incomplete unless I see that God was in all of that to bring me closer to himself and a greater dependence upon him. You know, honestly, it was then when I surrendered to the Lord and gave my life to him as a 17-year-old. It was in that experience that God gave me clarity, and I knew that he wanted me to be a preacher. He separated me to himself. I remember in 1975, when my wife and I made the decision to leave the Southern Baptist Convention and we separated ourselves from the convention and became independent Baptist people by conviction. I have no regrets about that, but it was not just that. It was not leaving the Southern Baptist. I would pastored seven and a half years. It's all I knew. It's all she knew. She and I were in this together. I was saved, baptized, called to preach as a Southern Baptist, pastored two Southern Baptist churches, wonderful churches, wonderful people. I still feel that way about them, and I love them. I love the memories that God gave us there, but I knew God was calling me to something else. He was separating me to himself, and I, and I think though we say we have a separating experience, that separating experience is what brings us to the place of greater dependence upon the Lord. I was told I'd never have a place to preach again. I was told I could never be in a Baptist church preaching. I was told that I'd lost all my friends. That's tough. I don't mind telling you it was a tough decision. And uh, you might want to try to describe a decision like that as saying we leaped into the dark, but we didn't. We followed the Lord and we had a calm and a peace in our heart that God was in it. He was separating us. We didn't try to throw hand grenades back into churches and places. We loved those people. I didn't want to harm them, but God was separating us. And you'll find all of your life that God is separating you to himself, and he becomes greater. And as John said of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. This is going on in this separating experience. I'm enjoying talking to you about these things that we find on the high road, and I'm looking forward to when we can be together again, and uh, we will talk about how God speaks to us, and does guide us, and he certainly does. He speaks to us. God bless you. Pray for us, we're praying for you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.